You are now listening to the November 26th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have 12 Apostles, Sermon, and Equipping the Saints. First, let's begin with 12 Apostles. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. This is Brian Winston with the Twelve Apostles of Jesus. Here's a story from Jack Graham's book, Lessons from the Heart. A friend went on a pilgrimage to Israel. It was very emotional for this friend to step on the land that he only read about. He felt as if the words in the Bible became alive as he walked the road Jesus walked climbed the mountains Jesus climbed, and sailed across the lake Jesus sailed. He was assisted by a guide who was very knowledgeable about the land and biblical history. Interestingly, this guide was Arabic. As an Arabic, his people might have been at odds with the Jews that occupied the land, but as a guide, he was professional and courteous. From speaking with a guide, The friend found out that the guide did not have faith even though he knew so much about the biblical history to work as a guide for a long time. He considered being a guide was a profession and he saw no spiritual connection between what he was saying to the visitors and his personal convictions in faith. So this friend saw an opportunity to witness to this guide and prayed for a chance to tell the guide about the gospel. At some point, the friend was able to witness to the guide and told him about the gospel of Jesus. He told the guide that for him, the pilgrimage to Israel was about visiting the land Jesus called home 2,000 years ago. But he explained to the guide that what is more important is that knowing what Jesus Christ means to him personally and many other like him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in the most personal and profound way. The Arabic guide listened carefully and showed curiosity. Eventually, his heart was moved. Once he was able to connect the dots between what he was explaining to the visitors and what this particular visitor was telling him about Jesus being the Messiah for the whole human race, it began to touch his heart. He then accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He did so with a glowing face. Then the guide said this, Many pilgrims came here from all over the world. Most of them were Christians, but oddly, not even one of them ever told me about the gospel like you did. You are the first one. That is the sin of the desert. Then The friend asked the guide, Sin of the desert? What does that mean? Then the guide answered, Yes, it is only known to the people who live in the desert. People die in the desert without water. Water is life. So if anyone traveling the desert finds water, that person must tell others where the water is. If the person doesn't tell, then it becomes a sin. We call that sin the sin of the desert. I live in a desert in Arizona. 
Hiking in the desert gets difficult during the summer months because it gets really hot. The summer usually starts around May and lasts till September. In the heat of the summer, there are warning signs at the trailheads, beyond which there would be only cacti and vast expanse of hot, arid desert. The warning signs say not to enter without water. From time to time, when I'm on the trail, I see people dehydrated because they didn't bring enough water with them. I share some of my water to help them out. If we are not spreading the message about the Lord to those with dying souls after we have come to Jesus and the hope He brings, it is like we are committing the sin of the desert. We are not telling where the water is in the desert, people who need it. God tells us our raison d'etre, or our reason for being, through Apostle Peter. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why did God choose us and call us to be royal priests, holy nations, and people for God's own possession? It is because so we can proclaim God's wonderful work. Philip Yancey wrote a book, Where is God When It Hurts? Someone asked Philip Yancey, How would you summarize this book? Then he answered this, It would be, where is church when people are hurt? How can we reveal God to the world? We might ask God to show himself to the world and show the world that he is alive just like Judas Thaddeus did. But the Lord tells us this, The church, which is my body, will reveal me to the world by all believers serving with love. I hope we will all be able to reveal and show God to others, whether we are at home, at school, or at work. We will conclude today's episode. According to the Christian tradition, Judas Thaddeus was martyred under an axe. It happened while he was spreading the gospel in Persia. That is why an image of an axe is often shown next to Judas Thaddeus in paintings. Looking back, he was a faithful disciple who lived a life of revealing God by spreading the gospel just as Jesus commanded him. He met his end in Persia. I hope we will all be able to live like Apostle Judas Thaddeus who shared the fragrance of Jesus and his message. I pray we would be able to reveal God in our lives and live our lives as Jesus commands. This concludes today's episode of the 12 Apostles of Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, firm beneath my feet. 
Your love is a mystery How you gently lift me When I am surrounded Your love carries me Hallelujah 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 Your love makes me sing And hallelujah 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 Your love makes me sing your love is surprising, I can feel it rising All the joy that's growing deep inside of me And every time I see you, all your goodness shines through And I can feel this God song rising up in me Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah makes me sing and hallelujah, 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 your love makes me sing. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, firm beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me When I am surrounded, your love carries me Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Your love makes me sing and hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Your love makes me sing Yes, you make me sing Lord, you make me sing, sing, sing How you make me sing Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah Your love makes me sing And hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah, your love makes me sing and hallelujah, hey, hallelujah, hallelujah, your love makes me sing and hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, your love makes me sing and hallelujah. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Myler of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is God's Sustaining Grace. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. So, there are many misconceptions about the favor of God amongst Christians, but perhaps one of the biggest ones, and we mentioned this in week one, is this. 
It is the notion that God's favor will be expressed mainly through physical health and material prosperity in this lifetime. Now, God's favor can certainly be expressed toward us in many physical and material ways, and often is. But a truly biblical perspective, first and foremost, recognizes that during this lifetime, the primary way believers will experience God's favor is going to be spiritual in nature. And it's very important that we all get that. And that is because God's highest priority for believers in this lifetime isn't necessarily our physical happiness, but our ever-growing holiness, There's going to come a day when God makes all things new and all of your physical needs are going to be met for all eternity perfectly, but it's not in this lifetime. God's primary concern for you in this lifetime and for me in this lifetime isn't that we are physically happy, but that we are growing in holiness. To use biblical terminology, God's highest priority for the life of believers is conforming us into the image of his son. Perhaps one of the most famous verses in the Bible speaks to this very issue. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. As we looked at last week, every spiritual blessing God could have given to us, he has given to us as he conforms us into the image of his son. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, the fact is, and brace yourselves for what I'm about to say. Grab the pew in front of you. Grab the person next to you because some of you are not going to believe what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. God will often remove physical or material comforts from our lives in order to bring about greater spiritual growth and holiness in our lives. He'll do that. Again, because his highest priority isn't our physical happiness, but our ever-growing holiness. And so there will be times in which God gives and which he takes away. And when he takes away, it's not that he is angry with you, but that his favor is upon you and he is refining you in the fires to make you holy and blameless, to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when God does remove physical or material comforts, like I said, the temptation is to think that God has removed his favor from us. I've thought that. You go through rough times and I go through something hard happens and my first thought is, what I do wrong? Well, I'm sure I did something wrong. What is it, Lord? (laughs) You know, and you begin searching the Rolodex of all the things you've done in the last month and you're like, what have I done wrong? When in fact, folks, it's just the opposite. God is maturing us when he removes things or when he allows us to go through difficult times. It's not that his favor is not upon us. It's his favor is on us and he's doing something even greater in us. What this means, and this is so very important, God's spiritual favor will often manifest itself in the life of a believer in ways they never saw coming, up to and including trials and difficulties. That's why I say, if you're ever going to disciple someone, your kids or your grandkids, what's the first thing you teach them? To fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the second thing you teach them? You teach them to think backwards. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, right? If you're ever going to disciple someone, start right there. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so he's going to show his favor to us at times in ways that make no sense to us. But his favor, nonetheless, is still upon us. This was a lesson that the apostle Paul learned firsthand. Listen to this. This is fascinating. Paul is writing this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
By worldly standards, the affliction that Paul and his companions endured seemed to be a sure sign of God's displeasure. God can't be for them. Look at all that they're going through. When in fact, it was just the opposite. It was actually a sign of God's favor in Paul's life as he was making Paul and his companions rich in faith and dependence upon the Lord. And this brings us to the the main point today, guys. If you don't get anything from my sermon today, just get this. And here it is. As believers, we simply cannot rely upon worldly wisdom when it comes to recognizing the favor of God in our lives. Because if we rely upon worldly wisdom, we're going to do what the world does. They're going to look at us as God is refining us and doing things in our lives that are sometimes difficult, sometimes hard. Maybe he removes something from our lives. But when God's doing that, the world's going to go, oh, too bad for you. Woe is you. And the temptation is going to go, woe is me. This is horrible. God has abandoned me. God has forgotten about me. No, he hasn't. It's just the opposite. You're his child. He loves you. His favor is upon you and he's refining you. He's doing something in this lifetime that's going to last for eternity. Amen? He can make you physically happy for a short time and just give you a life of ease and nothing. But no, he loves you enough to refine you and break you and to mold you into the image of his son. And that will echo into eternity. Point in case, the vast majority of Christians that have ever lived and died probably did so not amounting to much by worldly, any worldly standards or metrics. Do you realize how blessed we are? Those of us in this room right now, we are Christians living in the 21st century. We have more luxuries than any other generation, more money, more freedom in this country than any other Christians. That's why to him who much has been given, much is expected. Folks, you use, if you are a believer, use all that God has given to you for his glory while you can. Other generations that came before us did not have nearly what we have. The vast majority of Christians who have come before us were probably far more poor than rich, having lived somewhat hard lives in countries that were very difficult, not having the freedoms that we have. Does this mean that such believers were somehow lacking in the favor of God? By no means. By no means. As a matter of fact, it is my guess that many of the poorest Christians to ever live were probably some of the richest in faith to ever live, precisely because God's favor was so strongly upon them as he refined them for eternal purposes. Now, brace yourselves again, because now I'm really going to say something. It's going to, as Christians, we must understand that even when God is disciplining us, it is a sign of his favor. Church, hear the word of God this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. He's treating you as daughters. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons, not daughters. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his, now say that word with me, holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of, say that word with me, righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now notice what this passage says, folks. Discipline is a sign that you are a true son or daughter of God. God's discipline is actually a sign of his favor. To put it the opposite way, a sure sign that the favor of God is not upon someone is when he lets that person run headlong into sin. As a matter of fact, a sure sign of God's judgment is when he allows a person or a society or anything run headlong into sin. 
And a perfect example of that is seen in Romans chapter 1. Again, church, hear the word of God this morning. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. That's not God's blessing, folks. That is God's judgment. In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up three times in this passage to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Again, the point is simple, folks. As believers, we simply cannot rely upon worldly wisdom when it comes to recognizing the favor of God in our lives. God is often going to do things in our lives that are going to be painful, that are going to hurt, that we're going to be out there going, I don't think God is for me. Yes, he is. Don't doubt it in those moments when he is refining you in the fires, when he's refining you in the fires. It's precisely because he loves you and he's got a greater purpose for you that is going to last into eternity. He is forming you and conforming you into the image of his son. Amen? Folks, this life is but a breath. You're here today, gone tomorrow. We have a golf tournament coming up and if you're new to this church, you'll know that I say this all the time. I look at this room, all of us, most of us in this room, we're on the back nine somewhere, Right? <laughs> Some of us are putting on the 18th hole. Some of us are on hole 15. Some of us are on 12. We don't know. But looking at this crowd, there's nobody on the front nine. (laughs) We're all on the back nine somewhere. Here's the point, you guys. Life is short. And there's, there's something far more important than just eating, drinking, and being merry. It is being conformed into the image of the Son of God. And if God is doing that in your life, it will often look and appear in ways that you never expected. Consider, if you will, Hebrews chapter 11. In it, we read what is called, it's dubbed the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the hall of faith because in it is all these faithful men and women. What do we read about some of them? We read this, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockery and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens of caves of the earth. Now, from a worldly perspective, these people had miserable, cursed lives. Who wants to wear a goat skin and live in a cave? Who wants to live in the desert? Oh, never mind. We, we do live in the desert. Sorry about that. <laughs> but here's the point. From a worldly perspective, these people had miserable, cursed lives. From a biblical perspective, however, they were absolutely rich in faith and incredible courage. The type of courage that is willing to die as a martyr. And in God's eyes, you want to know how God viewed these people? The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of these people. And here's the point, you guys, when God is doing something in your life, 
and it's hard, it's difficult. He's taking you through the refining fires. You're deep in a valley and you don't like to be there and it feels like God is a million miles away from you. Don't believe the lie. If you are a believer, God is refining you. You are his child. He loves you. His favor is upon you. And he's doing something in you that's going to last for eternity. He could do what's easy in the physical realm right now. But folks, you don't want that. I mean, our flesh wants that. It's like, God, make my life easy. Make it, make it uncomplicated and easy. Folks, that's not the prayer you want to pray. You never want to pray that prayer. The prayer you want to pray is, God, make me holy. God, make me yours. Break my stubborn will. God, break my desire to be complacent and make things about myself. God, break all of that. It's a scary prayer to pray. It's a terribly scary prayer to pray. But I'm going to tell you, you will not regret that prayer in eternity. You won't regret that prayer even now. Now, with all this being said, this brings us to another key aspect of God's favor that we're going to be looking at this morning. That was all in way of introduction, and don't worry, I'm going to get us out of here on time. In way of review, if you're, not, if you're new with us or you're new online, this will help you. This is where we've been thus far. Week number one, we talked about God's common grace or favor. And this is the general goodwill and favor that God shows towards all mankind. He creates us. He allows the sun to shine upon us and he sends rain upon all of us. God is good to mankind in general. He is very good. Week number two, we looked at God's saving grace or favor. This is the favor God showed by sending his son to redeem a people unto himself. And those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ receive eternal life. They receive eternal life. Today, we are going to be looking at another key aspect of God's favor, and that is what is known. And by the way, this, this is um, what I really struggled with this series. If you're new with us, I struggled with this series. I'm like, how do I tackle this series in a way that's biblical? Because it's been so absolutely abused by the prosperity gospel preachers that you know are out there telling you, just name it and claim it, and you can have a Mercedes and God wants you rich and he wants you to be in a mansion. Folks, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not God wants you rich in this life. The, God, the gospel is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Amen? Some God will bless with financial wealth in this world. If he does, remember this. To him who much has been given, much is expected. Amen? The point, though, is I really struggled with this. And I chose this path because this is the path that most theologians take. And that is God's common grace and favor, God's saving grace and favor. And then today we're looking at this, God's sustaining grace and favor. And this is the strength, power, and protection God gives to believers as they daily fight the good fight of faith, especially in times of trial and difficulty. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to highlight a few ways in which God's favor is manifested in our lives as he sustains us. And here's why it's important. Because often when God's sustaining grace or favor is being manifested in our life, we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize it. Let me see if I can prove that to you. So one of the key ways of God's sustaining favor, that his sustaining favor will be manifested in the life of a believer is when he us, strengthens us in times of weakness. Now, we all know that the Bible says that God strengthens us. He's strong and he's there for us. But the point is, oftentimes, when we're going through a trial, he's doing just that, but we don't know it. We don't know it, we don't recognize it, and so we fall into the trap of thinking, oh my gosh, God's favor is not upon you. Not only is his favor upon you and that he's refining you, but at the same time, he's upholding you and strengthening you in that very moment. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think a great example 
of God's sustaining grace is in the life of Elijah. Now, if you remember Elijah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and there was a woman named Jezebel. And how would you like Jezebel to be your mother? She would have been a horrible mother. She wanted to kill the prophet, and he was freaking out, and he ran from her, and this is where the story picks up. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay, let me just stop right there. How many of you have ever woken up and you're like, I'm done. I am done. Lord, take me away. Take me home. I'm done with this world. It's insane, right? Everybody's insane around me. I'm the only normal one, right? How many, how many feel like that in this day and age, especially? Yeah, yes. So Elijah's having one of those moments. And it's, it's big because his life is literally being threatened. Oh Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. And then it says this, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel, of, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and he lay down again. Naps are good, aren't they? There's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. Who's with me? Amen. Sunday afternoon naps. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So there are at least three ways that God's sustaining grace and favor was manifested in Elijah's life. At least three ways that I see. The first was that God allowed him to sleep. God allowed him to sleep. Listen to this verse. It is in vain that you rise up early and late go to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, but he, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And that could be physical sleep, or it could just be rest from an anxious heart, from an anxious heart, eating the bread of an anxious toil. Listen, we live in a world where it's easy to get an anxious heart. And one of the promises of God is that I will take that anxious heart and surround it and fill it with a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is Philippians, right? But with thanksgiving in your heart, lift your prayers and petitions to the Lord, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He gives Elijah, in this case, physical sleep, which I think was a break from an anxious heart. The second thing that the angel did was uh, that did is that God sent an angel to him. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Here's what's going to blow some of your minds. Some of you have been ministered to angels this week and you didn't even know it. God sent his sustaining favor into your life by sending an angel to minister to you and you didn't even know it. And the last thing that he did was that he provided him with food. This is somewhat reminiscent of Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The point, you guys, is that when we find ourselves facing trials or difficulties where God leads us into places where he maybe takes something from us or puts us in a valley or is refining us, we need not doubt if God's favor is upon us. We need not doubt. We need to believe. Even here, God, 
you sustain me. Even here, you refine me. Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail. A thousand times a day they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And then 1 Peter 5, 10, it says this, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Incredible. But here's the point. God often does this and we don't even see it. And folks, that is a reminder to remember this. As believers, we simply cannot rely upon worldly wisdom when it comes to recognizing the favor of God in our lives. Because if we do, we're going to fall into the trap. The world's going to look at us going through difficult times and say, woe is you. And we're going to go, yeah, woe is me. No, not woe is me. Blessed is me. Because God is making me holy. He's conforming me to the image of his son. He's doing in something in me that's going to last for eternity. Blessed am I for the discipline of the Lord. Blessed am I that he is working all things for the good, even this in my life. Amen? Amen. This is the God we serve. Folks, whatever you do, do not forget this life is but a breath. This world is not your home. Do not waste your days storing up treasures on earth. You be rich towards heaven and the things of God and you, you beg God earnestly, Lord, whatever you do, have your way with me in this lifetime. Don't give me what my heart wants. My heart wants what the prosperity teachers are always saying. I want a Mercedes and I want a mansion. I want lots of money and I want to be left alone. Yeah, that's called your flesh. Say, God, give me what I need. Give me a heart that beats for you. And if it means stripping me of everything so that I am sold out for you in this generation, that I might even lay my life down for you, so be it. God, have your way. Whatever you do, do not judge your life by worldly standards. The world is going to say, woe is you. Bad things are happening to you. God's favor is not upon you, folks. It is just the opposite. Now, a second way that God's sustaining grace and favor will manifest itself in our lives is this way. And it's incredible. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Now, let's be totally honest. We are living in a world that's absolutely insane. Are we not? Are we not? Now, let me ask you a question, two questions. How many of you are looking at how insane the world is and you're frustrated, bitter, and jaded? I am. I'm looking at it and my heart's getting hard. It is. I'm like looking at this world going, are you kidding me? Or could we literally be headed this way? We are a locomotive with no brakes and we are smashing through every possible moral barrier that there ever existed. Ones that I thought we'd never go through, we've gone right through them. Not only that, not only am I in danger of having a hard, bitter, jaded heart, I'm also in danger of growing weird, tired, and exhausted. Are you kidding me, Lord? You want me to fight the good fight? You just get tired of it. How long do I have to fight this good fight? But here's the good news, guys. God shows us tremendous favor and works in and through us to will and to work according to his good purposes when we've got nothing left in the tanks. Many of us long to go home, and that's a, good, that's a good thing. We long, it's like, Lord, take me home. That's a godly longing. But God's not taking us home. Why? Because he's got our feet here for a reason. He's got, our, he's got us in this generation for a reason. And if you're here, that means he's got work for you and me to do. Amen? He's got work for us to do. And you're going, I don't have it in me to carry on that work. The world is crazy, and I'm tired, and I'm actually kind of angry. God says, I got this. And you wonder, there's days you want to give up, but you find yourself going on. Why is that? That's God in you. 
That's God's mercy in your life. That's God keeping that flame alive in you and he's working in you and pushing you and moving and working in you and you're going, I don't understand how I'm carrying on this good work, but I am. It's because God is being favorable to you and to me. A good example of of how God does this can be seen when God stirred the hearts of the Israelites to rebuild the temple. Then arose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Folks, you want to pray for God's favor? You pray this way, God, stir my heart. God, stir my heart. Help me not to get distracted with all the stuff that's happening in the world with everybody else. Everyone else is going to chase the things of the world. They're going to go, look how favored we are. No, 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 look how burdened you are. God, stir my heart. Show me your favor by stirring my heart to do your work in this generation. Give me eyes to see what it is, ears to hear what it is, whatever it is. God, stir my heart and get me busy doing it. That is God's favor in your life. And he might have you doing crazy things like building walls or going to foreign countries or serving the poor or washing people's feet or whatever. But don't think for a minute that's not because God's favor is not upon you. It's precisely a sign that his favor is upon you. Hebrews 13 says this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now listen to this. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, if you want to pray for the favor of God in your life, pray this. God, help me to do that which is pleasing in your sight in this generation, no matter the cost to me. No matter the cost to me. In a society that has lost all moral bearings. God, let me do what is pleasing in your sight. Show me favor by working in me to do what is pleasing in your sight, no matter the cost to me. Because guess what? It's becoming more costly to be a Christian, is it not? Many over the last couple of years have been threatened to lose their jobs or you know, just different ways that we are being intimidated or pushed aside or whatever. Even within our own families, this is happening. Now, This doesn't mean that you and I still won't struggle with sin and stumble from time to time, but what it does mean is the good work that God has started in you, he's going to carry it on to completion. This is God's favor in your life. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You're going, I wonder if I can run the good race and fight the good fight to the end. You can't, but God can, and he will. Amen? That's good news, and that's God's favor. That's good news, and that's God's favor. And again, we may not always recognize when he's working in us to will and work according to his good purposes. And that is why, folks, as believers, we simply cannot rely upon worldly wisdom when it comes to recognizing the favor of God in our lives. God's favor will often look completely opposite of what you think it is. He will stir your heart to do things the world would never do. He will give you the energy to serve in ways that you never thought you would serve and to serve people whom you never thought you would serve. This is the God that you and I serve. When you have nothing left in the tanks, he has plenty left. Now, one final way that God's sustaining grace and favor is manifested in our lives, and I bet you this one, I guarantee you, you probably miss it because I miss it all the time. And here it is. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. I bet if you ask the average Christian, you will find that they are either somewhat embarrassed or even outright ashamed of their prayer life. And yes, this includes pastors and missionaries. Who among us hasn't felt that we don't pray enough, 
or pray in the right way or pray for the right things. The fact is, even after we get saved, it doesn't mean that we see things as we should. We have very limited, finite perspectives and we're easily distracted and we have other similar weaknesses. But the amazing news is, is that even in our weaknesses, God's sustaining favor is manifested in us as his Holy Spirit intercedes through us. Now, here's why that's good news. I'm going to give you guys really good news. You want to hear it? Your prayer life is far better than you think it is. And I'm going to prove it to you. You're sitting here and going, no, no, no. I'm one of those people that's embarrassed about my prayer life. Your prayer life, I guarantee you, is far better than you can even imagine. And you want to know why? Because God's favor is on you. When you find yourself mourning for all the sin that you see in the world, that is God's spirit interceding through you. How many of you ever, and you do, I know you do this because I do it, you turn on the news and you see all that's happening, you see this locomotive of a culture that we have with no brakes left on it, bashing through every possible you know, moral barrier that's ever left, and you look at that and you go, Ugh. anybody do that? You just groan at the TV. You're like, Bleh. I'm being a little bit facetious, but here's my point. If you are mourning for what you see happening in the world, that is the spirit interceding through you. You may not always express it in words. You may not even think it with the clearest of thoughts. You might be driving down the street and just be reflecting and your heart just goes, oh, Lord, my heart just breaks for this world. Where is that coming from? Folks, that's God's favor in your life. He's sustaining you and he's praying through you in your weaknesses. Even in your weaknesses, that's an example of that. Or how about this? When you find yourself longing for heaven and something better. Remember how I said earlier, a lot of us are like, Lord, just get me out of here. The world's insane. Everyone's insane. I'm the only normal one. Take me home. How many feel that way? <laughs> yes. Folks, when you just find yourself in the middle of the afternoon just going, I cannot wait for heaven. I cannot wait for heaven. You might not recognize it in that moment, but that is God sustaining favor in your life. That's the spirit longing for something better. The spirit praying through you. So your prayer life is far better than you think. And you know why? Because God's favor is upon you. Whenever you mourn for the sin of this world, that's the Holy Spirit in you. Whenever you long for something better, that is the spirit longing in you. How about when you yearn for those around you to be saved? a loved one, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody who you're just like, Lord, I want them to be saved so bad. Lord, have mercy on them. And you may not even pray that prayer, like set aside time to pray that prayer, but you just find yourself longing for that and yearning for that throughout the day. Guess what? That is God. That is his Holy Spirit praying through you, yearning for that person to be saved and for people to be saved. That is your prayer life. That is your prayer life on display. And it's on display because God's favor is upon you and his spirit is working in you. Now, these are just a few of the ways that God's sustaining grace and favor can be manifested in our lives. I could go on and on. There could be a sermon series about this. Here's just a couple of other ways. He leads us out of temptation in those times when we're tempted. Does God abandon us there? No, he doesn't. He's there for us. He grants us divine wisdom. This is James. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He holds us securely in his hands when we feel our faith crumbling and our knees beginning to shake, the Lord is, no one will snatch you out of my hands. I've got you. I will sustain you. And as I said earlier, we have this promise and we know that he, and we know that for those who love God, who love God, all things work together for good. Not just some things, you guys, all things, 
all things. So the next time you're in a difficult situation and your flesh wants to tell you God has abandoned me, his favor is not upon me, and he's certainly displeased with me, don't buy that lie. God is refining you. And he's doing something eternal in you. He's strengthening you. He's sustaining you. He's praying through you. And it may not make any sense to you, but know this. God has not abandoned you. His favor is upon you. You are his child and he loves you. So the challenge is simple. Here it is. Stop relying upon worldly wisdom when it comes to recognizing the favor of God in your life. If you are a believer, you are the most favored people in all the world. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we thank you for your favor that is so often manifested in our lives in ways that we don't even recognize. And God, for all those times we miss them, we say thank you. And God, for all, for all the times we're going to miss them in the future, Lord, we, we ask this, God, that you give us eyes to see your favor being poured out in our lives. God, thank you for your sustaining grace and favor that upholds us in times of weakness. God, that just pushes us when we don't have anything left in the tanks. God, that you minister through us and pray through us and intercede through us. God, all that you do for us, truly incredible. God, we're reminded to him who much has been given, much is expected. Let us be people in this generation, God, who sing your praises. God, who advance your kingdom, who are all in all the time for you with hearts wholly devoted to you in this generation. We love you and we thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said with me, amen.
The following program is called Equipping the Saints. Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundsted, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. Thereby, its very nature, experience is not sure, not reliable, not steadfast, not firm. It is the Scripture, the Word of God, which is reliable, sure, and steadfast. God's Word alone, the written Word of God, is faithful and sure. A few passages, turn to Psalm 19. It is absolutely solid. Faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ, right? Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. Go up to Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8. The works of his hand are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. All of them. He says they are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. We saw this a couple weeks ago in Isaiah 55, what God says about his word. Turn to Isaiah 55 verse 10. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without water in the earth, Isaiah 55, verse 10, and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's no argument about God's word in heaven. And that will ultimately be on earth when the Lord is reigning. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, and this is a wonderful portion where Solomon is praying and dedicating the temple, and he shares about the faithfulness of God and his word. Tremendous, wonderful portion. 1 Kings 8, 54. While you're turning there, remember the elders in Titus 1 are to hold fast the faithful word. God's word is faithful, it's sure. It's absolute, it's reliable. It's reliable. The problem is our faith, not God's word. First Kings 8.54, And it came about that when Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. And he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. Not one word has failed. His word is sure. His word is sure. Tremendous, wonderful realities. Even Peter, who had the greatest of experiences, made it clear by this implied contrast, we have something more sure, more sure, more reliable more solid, to which we pay heed to that, not to experience. Now, I don't believe, as some would say, when he says, 
the prophetic word when he says prophecy of scripture, he's speaking simply of the Old Testament. And the reason why, look up in Second Peter, go back to Second Peter again, and let's look at chapter three, verse fifteen. Because Peter will refer to the Apostle Paul's New Testament writings as Scripture along with the rest. So I don't believe Peter is saying, hey, I'm just talking about the Old Testament here. I don't believe that. Because also in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he talks about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles. Okay, But look here at verse 15, 2 Peter 3, 15. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Amen. That means he hasn't brought the day of the Lord yet because he's patient, not willing for you to perish. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, it's written, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Paul's word is scripture. And the bad guys distort the scriptures. Peter is writing. This is a letter. It is the scripture. It is the scripture inspired by God. So even though Peter had the greatest of experiences, true experience, no one could top that. He made it clear by implied contrast that we have that which is more sure. The written word is more sure than any in all experience. And again, experience is inherently subject to one's own interpretation from man. Scripture is not, as we will see. Scripture is not. And notice back in our passage in verse 19, we do well to heed it. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. We have the word which is more sure, which is reliable, which is our anchor, which is steadfast, which provides everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus via his word. You do well to pay attention. To pay attention. The term pay attention here speaks of turning to, taking heed, turning your attention to. A lot of people paying attention to experience and other things. But he says you do well to pay attention here to the scriptures in context. The term well comes from the Greek word kalos. It speaks of something that is done well, done right, done appropriately, done beautifully. You do the right thing when you take heed to the Word of God. It's the beautiful thing. It's the right thing to pay attention. You know, our problem is we don't pay attention. We don't turn our attention to what God says. You know, and if that's the case, what does the Lord say about those who turn their attention away? Proverbs 13, 13, the one who despises or counts as less, the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Proverbs 28, verse 9, he who turns his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You think you're spiritual, but you've turned your attention away from the word to experience or whatever, your life, whatever it is. Not good. The word of God is our spiritual food. When the Lord Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the spirit had brought him out there to be tempted. The Lord Jesus responded to the tempter. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is God's word. It is his word. It is powerful. And you and I do well to heed what we all have, which is the scriptures. 
Turn to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs 1. Actually, you don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. It's a shorter portion. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments to your neck. You do beautifully to heed the word of God. Jeremiah thirteen fifteen, confronting the Israelites who were not listening and not heeding. He says, listen and give heed. Do not be haughty, for the Lord has spoken. Listen and give heed. Do not be haughty, for the Lord has spoken. It's pride that causes us to turn away. We think we know better than what God has said. Proverbs 8. Now, I do want you to turn to Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8.32. Proverbs 8.32. This is speaking of wisdom personified. It's God's word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Proverbs 8.32. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me. For blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Heed it. Listen to it. Respond. The Lord God says, He gives us everything we need for life and Godness. Heed it. He says, and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my posts, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. And those who hate me love death. We all have the word that's been delivered, which you do well to pay attention. I want to ask you, what is inhibiting you from paying attention What things have encroached into your life that is keeping you? Worries, trials, lusts, desires. What is it? Experience. What is it? Zechariah chapter 1, concerning the Israelites who had rejected the truth of God, and God is speaking to their descendants, saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. And he says that to us too. Zechariah chapter 1, turn to Zechariah 1. You see, if you don't heed God's word, you'll be in debt to it because what God says will accomplish what he desires. Zechariah 1, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me. That's repentance. Declares the Lord of hosts that I may return to you. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me. That's the word of God. That's God's word, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Didn't it come true? Revelation 1.3, Blessed are those who hear the word of this prophecy and heed the things written in this book. And so, back in Second Peter, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. Are you paying attention? Are you heeding what God has said? What is in the way? What is in the way? If you don't know the Lord, that's what's in the way. Because you don't have the Spirit of God, that's foolishness to you. What's in the way is sin. And God calls upon you to repent and believe in His Son Jesus who died for your sins. But once you have... The Spirit of God, we need to confess our sins and be right with Him and heed His Word in our hearts. In the end of Peter and Paul's lives, they stressed the sufficiency of Scripture and also 
threats to that. We have the written word of God. We have it now to which we do well to heed. And notice back in our passage in the second half of 19, the written word is our lamp in this dark world. It's our lamp until the light of Jesus arises in our hearts. Verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. We have the metaphor of a lamp shining in a dark place. That's the sure word of God shining in a dark place. It is illumining our path. The term dark place here literally means gloomy place. We live in a gloomy place. This world is dark with sin. It is night in regards to sin. It is dark. We live in a gloomy place. We are tempted on a continual basis within this. But the word is like a light shining in a dark place. It directs our paths and leads us in our walk with Christ. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We can memorize those verses, but is it true in your life? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. God's word illumines our path. In 1 Peter 2, it grows us in respect to salvation. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it is God who performs his work through his word in us who believe. We were saved for sanctification by the Spirit through faith and faith in the truth. God uses his word to guide our steps, our steps in how we interact, react, act in every circumstance, situation, that comes upon us in this life, every single one, and you do well to heed it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And notice, it is that until a certain point. It is that until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. We walk now in this time, in this dark world, by faith, believing in the truth of the word of God, heeding it. That is our lamp. That is, nothing else. We walk by faith, not by sight. But that's until the day dawns. What's he talking about? It's metaphoric. You see, our times are characterized by sin and darkness. Christ came to shine on those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, Luke 178. We were delivered from the domain of darkness, having been forgiven of our sins, Colossians chapter 113. And while we walk in this world of darkness and sin, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But there will be a point where we will not need to pay attention to it until this time. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. We know right now that salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. When the morning star, that term morning star spoke of the first and brightest. And Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, calls himself, Revelation chapter 22, 16, the bright morning star. And although I'm not sure, it appears to be speaking of Christ arising in our hearts. Now what does that mean? We already have Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
But there will be a time when Christ culminates the salvation in us. We will be glorified. We will have an effect. His word on our hearts will be changed. It's when faith will become sight. We live in a dark world, but salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be changed. We're going to be conformed to his image perfectly in that context. Look at Philippians chapter 3. When he arises in our hearts, when the sun is fully risen in our hearts, right? Our hearts still struggle with sin, right? When he is fully arisen in our hearts until that day, right? You can see the picture. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a second, I thought I was already saved. Yes, we are, but he's still saving. He hasn't culminated yet. Who will what? Transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And then one last passage. Look at 1 John chapter 3. How great a love that we should be called children of God, and such we are. But God is doing something. God is doing something, and we are going to be changed. Christ will fully be manifest in our hearts. The sun will arise, the morning star, in our hearts when that is complete. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared yet what we shall be. He's talking about glory, right? We know that when he appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. But until that time, we do well to heed and pay attention to the sure word of God. Are you doing well? Are you doing well at work? Are you heeding the word of God at your work? Are you doing well in your marriage relationship Are you doing well in the context of the church? Are you doing well in the context of your brothers and sisters? Are you doing well in the context of your non-believing relatives and family? Are you doing well heeding the word of God in every aspect of your life? If you realize you aren't, God is so good. He exposes those things and then he corrects us. He makes us straight again if you're willing to acknowledge it. Lord, I have not heeded your word in these areas of my life. Confess that. He'll forgive you. And then allow his word to work in your heart that which is pleasing, that which is beautiful. Are you doing well? I began speaking about experiences. The world functions by experience. And yes, we as believers have experiences, and we can look back and see what God has done, and we can praise him for it, and we should praise him and thank him for it. But we never rely on what we have experienced. We rely on the sure, firm foundation of the Word of God as we trust in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for the blood that you shed. Standing in its blessing, we sing these freedom songs. Thank you, thank you for the battle you won. Standing in your victory, we sing salvation 
songs We sing salvation songs You have opened the way to the Father Where before we could never have come Jesus counts us as yours now forever As we sing these freedom songs Standing in His blessing, we sing these freedom songs. Thank you, thank you for the battle you won. Standing in your victory, we sing salvation songs. We sing salvation songs. Yeah, you have opened a way to the Says yours now forever as we sing these freedom songs. Oh, yes, we sing of all you've done. Jesus counts us as yours. 
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.